Welcome back to Operator Syndrome. We're here with David, uh, former Marine, uh, reconnaissance Marine, and contractor at various organizations. Um, we're probably looking at the last episode here, going through David's story. If you haven't seen him before, go back. We set up a playlist, actually, so we're, we're, we're slowly figuring this, this technology stuff out. We've got a playlist of his story, first talking about his military service, and then getting into uh, his transition into the uh, private military contracting world, both with the State Department and um, GRS, as we've been talking about. So uh, this, this last episode here, we're actually going to get into uh, some more of the day-to-day, -day, uh, some more stories about uh, his time in GRS, and specifically talking about a, a deployment to uh, Afghanistan. Um, as a as a refresher, um, GRS is Global Response Staff, and um, they're doing many things on behalf of uh, the agency for which they're they're working for. Um, you know, even I I got out of active duty in 2010. Um, I was vaguely aware of these type of organizations. You see these folks, you know, skulking around you know, in the, in the same spots uh, that we were working in, um, but didn't really know what they were doing, you know, personally. Um, and based on some of the, so, some of the teaser stuff that the David's been telling me, um, I think I vastly underestimated some of the work that they were doing. So today the idea is to, to bring a light to that um, and to share what folks have been doing, you know, on behalf of this country and the service they've been doing uh, even beyond the uniform. So that's the purpose so, um, so, so, so David, maybe we start with, you know, this particular, this deployment to Afghanistan that you were going to, that you were going to go on that we, that we were talking about, um, the lead up to it, you know, GRS has uh, a protective mandate and then they do things other than that as well, um, as you've described. So on this Afghanistan deployment, were you aware of beforehand that you'd be doing, if I understand correctly, less of the protective type work? Was that something you were already aware of? Yeah, it's something that was uh, already discussed um, when I deployed to Afghanistan um, as a GRS um, contractor. Okay. Okay. Um, how, I mean, I think you described in, in, in other episodes how... Um, maybe you were even surprised by the breadth of the work that they were doing um, and that you'd right. show up and that you, you were like, okay, we're doing all this kind of stuff here. Um, how did yeah, you, my, go ahead. My first, like uh, going back to the previous episode, my first about almost two years of my time with GRS was just standing post with static mm -hmm. security. Mm -hmm. And it's that simple enough, right? I mean, I wasn't doing any protective detail other than just protecting the installation that I was at. Mm -hmm. um, afterwards, I had the opportunity to go on the mobile side because if, if anyone's brand new listening to this podcast right now, I mean, GRS is a central intelligence agency program and they have two programs within that program. You have your COBRA and your CAPO and your COBRA is your static security and your CAPO is your mobile. And everyone aims to join the mobile side because there's a lot more the, the pay is higher one thing and there's a lot more opportunities as far as like mission and whatnot 
Um, so I was on the Cobra side for about almost two years and then had the opportunity to go on the Capo side, which is your mobile. And when I went to the Capo side is when I deployed to Afghanistan. So, so let's get into it. I mean, let's talk about some of the things you did. Maybe let's talk about, um, what your expectations were for that move to the mobile side. Um, first off, was there any different training associated with that? Was there a workup associated with that? That was unique to, to the work you were going to be doing. Yeah. So there's, um, before you even deploy, um, you go to uh, Fort Carson, Colorado. This is where they have their, uh, their vetting courses. Okay. And they also have advanced courses for, um, for the contractors who are already between projects or on project. They'll come back to the States. They'll go to Fort Carson. Um, you have your, uh, your tactical driving. Um, there was one course that involved the um, BMWs. Nice. Um, as far as how to tactically uh, maneuver BMWs, because there's a lot of, uh, so the, the agency utilizes BMWs a lot. Okay. Um, amongst other things, um, you have your designated marksman courses or your sniper. Um, and usually like to utilize guys who were snipers actually scout snipers marine scout snipers or whatever army uh navy so they like to use guys who were snipers to send them to that des designated marksman's course um they have communications uh they have other tactical shooting courses so the the company that you work for and the agency that they work together they like to send these co contractors over to uh Amplify their skills, I guess, or to send them to advanced training, and then they'll redeploy them back to whatever project or to another location. Uh, my expectations um, when I went on Capo side was um, it just is geographically dependent. Um, so, like, Capo in Iraq will do something different than in Afghanistan. It, it just really depends on what mm -hmm. project you're on or what task, task order you're on. Um, and there's a lot of black sites all over the place, which um, when you're in the, the career field, you're not discussing that with anybody. Mm -hmm. um, there's a real, you sign non-disclosure agreements. You, you say that you're not going to discuss what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, if people ask you, you're, you tell them that you work for the state department mm -hmm. and the state department does interface with the CIA. So if you say you work for the state department, it can be verified. Mm. Even though you're not really working for the State Department, mm -hmm. but um, my my uh, experience in Afghanistan was being embedded with uh, an ODA team and working with a case officer or case officers um, to gather intelligence um, to uh, manipulate the Taliban or you know to to mitigate certain circumstances with the villagers. You know, I guess because you have one one village that cooperate with the Taliban because they don't want to feel the re repercussions, you know, if they go against them, they have another village who hate the Taliban. Mm -hmm. So there's a complexity with uh, um, working with an ODA team, which is an army special forces team that's embedded mm -hmm. out there in the villages and working with uh, a CIA case officer, whoever, and, and seeing that play out. So that, that was my experience in a nutshell. So, so many questions. So, so yeah, was there, 
was there anything about the maybe we don't talk about the specific area any of that type of stuff of course you know was there anything about it was there anything about the the area or or the 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 nefarious folks um working in in the ao of that that oda that necessitated interest by um the agency is is that why there was there was that that you all were there yeah so um socom um specifically usasoc so army special operations command um developed a program called village stability operations mm-hmm. and that was started i guess i'm assuming in the beginning of the iraq on um, not iraq but afghanistan war mm. and it was heavily involved the oda teams and what dso's are is you have an oda team and they will go into a village and they will talk with like the local village elders, whatnot. Um, it's winning your hearts and minds, basically. Mm-hmm. And it, the the primary goal for that is to make sure that those that the village and the village elders don't make an alliance with the Taliban. And it's mm-hmm. the way of 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 combating the Taliban's presence in within local regions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because. The military, as well as the central intelligence, realized that you know using direct action and your standard human doesn't really work. So they have to their approach changed and basically was to get embedded with the village and to make a presence and to ensure that the that village will make an alliance with the Taliban. So that's what the DSO basically is in a nutshell. Um so yes, there was like an example I gave you was there there was a, a time where there was two villages that were conflicting with each other and they were actually warring with each other. And one side was sympathetic to the Taliban, the other side wasn't. Um, there was an economic complexity to it because there were poppy fields that some of these guys were using. Well, not some of them, actually all of them were utilizing these poppy fields to make money mm. because these poppy fields were eventually used to make opium and other narcotics mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't understand that the uh, or don't realize in afghanistan that was like the number one economic uh, um commodity i guess right, was the, right. Uh, poppy poppy seeds mm-hmm. and so it was just that one village that we're i'm talking about that was sympathetic to the taliban they were i guess they were at the the cusp of you know listening to coalition forces listening to us and you know, they wanted to actually, I guess, break away from them. And so they were giving us intel of their movements, their locations, and what they were doing, everything, their leadership. So trying to like redefine or reshape the battlefield basically um, to get that upper hand. So what, as far as like what we were doing, as far as GRS, um, we would go out there, we would wear these desert tiger stripe uniforms, if you're in Afghanistan, you see a bunch of guys with beards and wearing tiger stripe desert freaking uniforms. Those were freaking CIA, uh, GRS um, contractors. Um, so, um, so yeah, we went out there, uh, basically worked with the villagers. We were working with, uh, I think it was fifth group, ODA five something. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it was fifth group because. You know how ODA teams, uh, they they do the numbering. You know if it's the right. group, you go ODA five, 
then their battalion and then company and team. Right. So, yeah. So we were with OD, uh, fifth group ODA and they were doing their DSO, but we we're there, um, getting information so that we could, uh, supply that the case officer was there so that he could recruit individuals and in his, uh, secret program to, uh, like I said, reshape a battlefield or, um, find information about the Taliban and exploit that. Um, it was really, really interesting. I had no, I mean, I've heard of village to village operations when I was in a Marine Corps, mm-hmm. um, but I really didn't understand what it was or Marine recon doesn't do DSOs. And when I got involved in uh, GRS and got deployed to Afghanistan, that was, I thought that was the most badass, interesting thing I've seen in my life. I mean, it was really complex. It's a complex operation and army special forces they're brilliant in what they do as far as that um Mm -hmm. the seal teams do it but they suck at it i just want to tell you that right now in fact they'd rather not do it because they think of themselves as door kickers and kill them you know shoot them first and ask questions later because they they, that's what they do (laughs) they don't they don't envision themselves or see themselves as being dso's but there is a seal team out there doing that Mm-hmm. They weren't really proficient in that. The the ODA teams did a way better job. I'll 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 second that, and we'll take some heat off of David from the <laughs> SEAL fans out there. SEALs will be the first people, like you said. I'll, I'm seconding that. I'm co-signing this. They'll be the first people to tell you that they don't want to be doing that. Um, they don't. They, they don't. They're not crazy about that. Um, they like their fed stuff when you know the heat's off and they're they're chilling you know in, in in asia or somewhere i think but this wasn't this wasn't a mission set that they were crazy about and i'd heard i've heard that plenty of times as well so oh yeah yeah um I want to put that out to the navy seal fanboys out there who think that those do every single thing great no well i'm sorry vsos are not one of them so so um this might be this might be a little inside baseball but i'm interested anyway so it non-military folk i'll try to explain as much as i can so one one thing i'm interested in is the deconfliction a lot of people have overlapping skill sets and and i've never worked with an oda i i I was nowhere near around you know vso operations that unconventional type warfare stuff so i I'm, i'm i'm ignorant to all of it but i do know that in that umbrella you have the oda the green berets who are you know the warrior diplomats is kind of how they envision themselves but there are also civil affairs there's also psyops and in the world that you were working in you were playing in it sounded like there's a little bit of overlap with what they were doing as well as well as with like the the intel sergeant role on the oda so is were those other assets available in that theater as well were you all there because were you all there because those assets weren't available or was um, the strategic one thing I can imagine is that maybe the strategic significance of this these specific relationships they warranted plussing up and sending the agency down there um, or was it or was it a little bit more like we don't have enough civil affairs. We don't have enough site. We don't have enough, you know, there isn't a, you know, the Intel sergeant is busy. So let's, let's send uh, the agency to plus up this situation. How did yeah, that uh, net out? 
That, that's a good question. Yeah, no. So there were, from, from what I understand, um, there were, I guess, a, like under user SOC, you, you, like you said, you have your SIOPs and your, um, your civil affairs. From what I understand, they were there. Um, but your, your 18, who was the MS for the Intel Sergeant? Uh, he played a huge role as far as like uh, gathering intel, um, as far as the situation that geographic area. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it was more of like a, like it was just not not augmenting the ODA at all. We had nothing to do with like we're, we're not teaming up with ODA and going out there and and, and going on missions with them. But mm. they were actually supplying us the information, and then the case officer would get that information. And, and I didn't know much what the case officer was doing. There's a case officer is an actual CIA employee. Mm. And he, what he or she does is go and basically recruit like uh, local Afghan people or whoever mm. he or she is doing to mm. create, you know, whatever unit or something to go out and fight, you know, the Taliban or to do whatever that the CIA needs to be done. Okay. And basically is to gather that information from uh, an ODA team and to supply that to the um to the client who was the, the CIA that we're working for. So so, so let's be careful. So let's be careful. So I mean I don't know if I'm making any sense of if you understand like it it's does. Just, yeah. Let me I'll mention I'll mention I'll mention a group. They they were in the news before. We don't have to go down the rabbit hole. Did this have anything to do with Omega? Was that tied into this at all? The Omega teams or whatever? Um, the one thing I call zero units. Okay, I'm not tracking that. This is all yeah. after my time, but the 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 Rangers got heavily involved into you know the Omega stuff. Um, I think our Omega. Um, I know that the agency had developed a a program called Zero Zero Units. Okay. And it was just a highly classified uh, program that they were using uh, Afghan commandos um, and whatnot. And they were mm-hmm. they created this unit. Uh, it was a counterintelligence counterintelligence or counterterrorism unit mm-hmm. that went out and uh, I did their thing in Afghanistan. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like about- yeah. yeah. It sounds like I might be related. Was was uh, was your work there related to? It was probably like all of the above, maybe. So intel gathering, sort of generally on the geographic area and the relationships. Maybe you're also yeah. feeding some folks into those other programs as well. Yeah, basically that's what it was. Um, it wasn't an in depth. Uh, like if you're going to form a unit like that, it wasn't like you know our role would be um, on your basic uh, intel level coming in and feeding that information to to uh, the agency and then they'll use that information to do whatever they're going to do okay um so whatever like on as far as what the agency was doing the case officer was uh developing whatever he or she was developing um that that was something that we weren't uh, privy to Mm -hmm. so it's basically go ahead what is it about um and had you worked with the Green Berets at all in your in your former life in uniform or any any other capacity? I'm sure in contracting you run across Green Berets, but you you seem particularly impressed by what you saw um, during the the VSO stuff. Um, what in particular did you feel like they they 
what in particular caught your eye about the way they worked, the way they, the, the way they interacted? So, um, from my experiences, like when I was in the second force, uh, we deployed to Jordan and we worked with the Jordanians, uh, trained them basically for their deployment to Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And I, my, my idea of foreign internal defense was basically training, uh, you know, oh, Technically, that is foreign internal defense. I mean, you're training a foreign force mm-hmm. um, and you're working together, basically exchanging knowledge and whatnot. And that, and as far as my experience in FID, that, that as far as working for the Jordanians, that was it. Um, but going to Afghanistan as a contractor and watching how the ODA team worked, it was way more complex than, than just being uh, your, your FID, your normal FID. Mm. Um, they... So there's a term that they use, the Afghanis use called Shura mm-hmm. or Shura validation. A Shura is basically a sit down with the local um, elders or the village, if you want to, uh, whatnot, and basically talk over um, uh, what what can you do, what we, what we can do to help you out and what you can do to help us out, basically, and come into agreement. So they call that a Shura. And the ODA team did a lot of that. So, mm. And it was non-aggressive, non-combative approach. You know, these special forces guys would take their Kevlar's off. They will, you know, put their weapons down. Um, they will cross. They would, they would show all their appropriate etiquette that you need to show, like not even sticking your feet out so they can see the bottom of your feet. They would tuck their feet in. Mm. They would eat food with them. They would just talk. And they'll have a rapport and basically build a relationship. Um, and while they're doing that, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of information exchange, and that's how you gain intelligence. Because if you win their hearts and mind, they will tell you things that they would normally wouldn't tell you. And you can use that to, in the end game, defeat the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the goal, the goal of it. And it became a successful program. But what I observed was something that was far more complex than I ever was used to. Do. And recon Marines don't do any of that stuff. Um, that that's not what we were trained to do. We have limited knowledge on foreign internal defense, but um, seeing the OD guys in action and see what they do, I thought that was just amazing. Um, that area was it a particularly? By the way, around what what year was was this was this? Yeah, this was um, like in the middle of 2019. Okay. Yeah. So um. Because I was uh, a co- so I was on a Cobra side for about a little over two years. So from let's see here, from well, twenty seventeen timeframe, well, by twenty eighteen, by the middle of twenty nineteen, I had that opportunity to switch over on the mobile. So I went to TDC again, did all that, and before you know it, I was deployed to Afghanistan. So from that time frame on, um, was doing something way different than I was doing as a as a Cobra um, contractor. Was this, I'm going to guess maybe not, you correct me if I'm wrong, based on, it was at least a permissive enough environment that you all were able to to get going a recruiting operation to to have the, the shuras and whatnot. Um, but, you know, in terms of like uh, kinetic activity, you know, duking it out with the Taliban, was there much of that going on at this time? Oh, yeah. Was yeah, there? It was very kinetic in that area. At least in the areas that were, because the ODA teams are embedded in deep into 
uh, uh, Afghan territory where there is a Taliban presence. Okay. Um, and usually the ODA teams, um, they're they're embedded far enough away from you know available assets, right? So mm-hmm. they're it's like they're on their own almost. So yeah, um, it was very kinetic in Afghanistan compared to my time as a whips contractor. Mm. Um, going, getting involved in the GRS side and being deployed to Afghanistan and doing that kind of work, yeah, there was a, uh, it, it was very kinetic. So, okay, so you're doing, so you're doing that. Um, presumably you all in your specific role, you're not intending or wanting to duke it out with the Taliban, uh, in your role, primarily you all, you are, you all are trying to do, get other things done. Um, but yeah, any, well, yeah. Um, no, any, yeah, no, you're not, you're not, uh, actively seeking out, I mean, you're not carrying out direct action missions to go out and, uh, look for the Taliban and, uh, pick a fight with them if that if that's what you're asking yeah, yeah exactly exactly some folks might yeah some folks might be interested in you know okay grs are you out there are you hitting for the uninitiated for for those who don't know they might think oh, okay is is david out there also doing wink wink you know secret hits you know <laughs> are, are you off doing that kind of thing as well um yeah, no I can tell you that the ground branch was doing a lot of that. Mm. Okay. Um, if we're like, uh, if those are listening, we don't, they're not familiar with the ground branch. So the, the CIA has, or had, I don't know well now, but they have a, a ground branch, a maritime branch, and you have an air branch and they come under the special activities division and GRS comes under but the special activities division under the ground branch side, but no, we're not going out during secret hit missions mm-hmm. <laughs> on on HBTs or whatever. Um, so there you go. David's not was not part of some secret secret hit squad, so don't don't worry about that. But the risk to you all is very real. Um, especially you can't you can't recruit these. I mean, you're not recruiting these assets. The case officer is not recruit. You all are not interacting with these people like online. Like you're presumably you need to get face to face. There's like a, a contact requirement there. Um, by there 2019, is- there were plenty of stories of, I mean, I was going to, you know, they're green on blues, but there were also, there were plenty of situations where um, agency folks attempting to recruit people, establish relationships, maintain relationships will get killed because, you know, their, their, their asset turned or someone they were recruiting turned. Um, how, was that a, was that a big concern for you that, you know, that, that, that might happen or that's something you need to worry about? Yeah. Um, it is. Oh, it was, I mean, it was, uh, something that you stayed vigilant on, right. You know, it's something that's in the back of your mind. Um, but to me, it's like, uh, it was no different from when I was in the Marine Corps, um, deployed to Afghanistan with 2nd Recon Battalion. Um, I, I looked at it, it was the same thing, right? You, you, as a recon Marine deployed to Afghanistan, um, my first time deployed to Afghanistan, uh, it was like, well, you know, there is a huge possibility that you're going to get face-to-face with the Taliban and have, uh, um, 
you know, experienced combat. So by that point, when I was a GRS contractor, it was to me, to me, it wasn't, it was like how it was before. Mm. So, but yes, I mean, it's in your mind. Um, it's a dangerous job. You know that, and there's a possibility that anything can happen. Um, and, and as you probably know already, if you've seen these other episodes of, um, mother podcasts of guys who were GRS um, contractors uh, getting into firefights. Um, it, it just happens. And mm-hmm. sometimes it show, you know, but mm-hmm. everyone has a unique experience though, as far as this uh, type of work is involved though. I mean, to that end are, you know, about that time, are there any specific, are there any specific moments or, specific stories about that time that stick out to you as as interesting or 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 scary or funny or anything any any stories um, from that time so we, uh, yeah um we went to one village these guys were like in the stone ages man um it was way out in the the mountains and these guys had a there i guess there was a lot of incest going on in that 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 community so the result was there was a lot of people with uh, deformities mm. and I swear to God, I mean, there was one kid who was blue. The skin was blue. Mm. There, there was another elderly man whose, his legs were like a crane. His knees were backwards and he was walking like a crane. It, it was like a fucking freak show, man. Wow. I've never seen it in my life. So these, the reason why we were there is because they, they needed humanitarian aid, I guess. They didn't have, there was I a lot like of yeah, a lot of health issues. Um, malaria, malaria was rampant over there, and they needed help. So basically, it was going there and and um, trying to give them uh, medical support and whatnot. But when I saw that, I, I was like, Jesus Christ! Wow, I've never seen that in my life. Um, the um, I don't want to get into too much of the the firefighting part, the getting you know the kinetic part. But we had instances where we were, we had to get involved in some firefights. Um, but yeah, I, I like to stay away from that. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, about how long was that rotation? How long were you all out there? So that rotation, um, they give you an option to do a month or three months. Mm-hmm. Um no more than three months. So I, I like to do the max and do a three month rotation and come back and uh, about a month. So it's kind of like the whips rotation. Mm-hmm. To me, it was a similar. So like in the whips rotation is a hundred, it was a hundred, like, how was it? It was a 98 period. And then it was a 30 day rest period. Um, it was basically the same thing. So like you just, you rotate in 90 days and the 30 days. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, well, we're starting to wrap up here and on this last episode of this next go, and thank you again for, for coming back on, um, to tell this side, I think it's endlessly fascinating again, you know, for me, plenty of folks I knew were interested in contracting. It was always around something on the top of your mind, um, but hadn't gotten to talk to anyone who made that transition. Um, it being, it being basically like the last episode here at least for this shot um you know we're at afghanistan now 
you know we 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 pulled out it was a little messy um any thoughts or or you know i think we're all still processing it um all of us who are over in afghanistan um but just any initial thoughts or, or feelings or what, what what's your what's your current take on the whole afghan thing yeah um my whole take on that kind of thing is like probably what you think is we did a very sloppy job um, towards with as far as withdrawing troops and mm. just the, the remaining chapters of our time in Afghanistan was mm. unacceptable. And what happened to the Marines over there at the ECP, mm. um, uh, Sean Ryan had interviewed one of those guys, very disappointed. Um, as far as my experience, watching uh the oda conduct vsos it was a very successful program at first it wasn't because there was no like a support for it in the beginning from what i understand but then they the you know conventional military saw the value in it and it became a very successful program and it was and it was gaining ground we were actually winning hearts and minds there um we were defeating the taliban um, but we will never ever ever change the way people think there and create a democracy that is never going to happen in that region spe specifically um, Afghanistan but any Muslim territory there's no way that we're going to change the way they think and let them you know develop the kind of society that we live in but mm. there was a lot of work put into what the um, what the military troops like our troops, not necessarily special operations, but our troops in general. We mm -hmm. put in a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice, um, lives were lost, and we did a fantastic job. Um, and I just did not like, did not appreciate and did not like what I saw in the end and how we withdrew and then how we fucked over um, a lot of the Afghanis that worked with us during this uh, what was it over 20 years that mm -hmm. we were there mm -hmm. um how we just left them you know that was just unacceptable agreed totally unacceptable can't can't do that and uh the u.s is if we don't have it already i think we do but developing a reputation for just dropping folks but that's not yeah. because you know those who are served serving um want to do that or think it's the right thing it's just because strategically our country decides to cut bait um yeah totally agreed um i'm i'm also i'm i still i've already said this before but i still processing you know uh the time and investment we spent there the folks we lost the people we like you said screwed over at the end it's a lot to deal with so a lot to process and hard to think that it's over after something that was so long and top of mind for us who served um still something trying to figure out trying to understand okay well um so we're at time here um you know we want to thank david for for like i said coming on again uh you know david's been cool enough to to, to offer himself up uh to to the podcast here um so you know now that we've gone through his story just like steve went through his story just like i went through my story um 
if if you've if you've connected with you know David's story, you know either as a Marine or uh, in the contracting world, and you want to share your story, um, we can connect you and we can get you all talking about it and get you up here on operator syndrome. So we think that's the direction we're going to go here uh, to have some folks swap in and uh, and let folks connect, let folks let folks who have that connection tell their story. So thank you for doing that. So we may see all that to say we may oh. Sorry. We may see no, we may see some more David here in the future just yet. So <laughs> and we'll get him a good setup by that time. Um, but but David, thank you again. Um, and uh, and maybe we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Looking forward for the next ones in the future. <laughs> yeah. All right, dude. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll catch you in the next one. See ya.